where should we go next? What do you think? Um, well, I think moving from there, I think that actually bridges to data set because some mm -hmm. of this makes a lot more sense if you're working in data set as it is. Okay. Um, or if you imagine that you're working with a bunch of buffers that you allocated in C and allocating a new buffer may not be something you want to do. So um, in, in, on the JVM in general, allocating memory is really fast, surprisingly fast, especially if you're coming from a C-based background. But in C, a malloc call is not fast, and it's not something you want to do in the middle of your processing pipeline if you can avoid it. And so um, being able to have an original buffer that is native-based and being able to do index-based operations on it means that I can do a lot of C programming without having to allocate new C buffers until like potentially the very end of the pipeline of some sort mm -hmm. where I'm just allocating the result to pass back or potentially the C interface even allows you to say these are the indexes I care about and this is the order or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's almost like uh, in that sense, it can be really, really useful to have part of your data set represented in native land, but not um, not copy it into persistent vectors or a persistent map or something like that. Whereas mm -hmm. I want to just work with, I want to have a program that's running and have my scene graph all in native land. And I still want to be able to do things on it in Clojure, but have the result that's easy to communicate back to the C interfaces. Mm -hmm. um, so um, moving to um, data set. Right. Data set. Data sets really more of what you're looking for in a lot of ways because data set maps to a sequence of maps and the closure core functions that you were talking about map and filter and group by in data set land mm -hmm. return data sets more or less. And so when you deal with a sequence of maps and you apply map to it, you get back a sequence of maps. Mm -hmm. And when you are in data set land and you apply row map to it, you get back a data set. And when you filter a data set, you get back a data set and group by. And so once we move to having, once we move to data set land, then it's much more coherent in terms of a finished piece of tool that you could use to, to just straight line take closure core data or transducer, a transducer functionality and try it in terms of data set, the data set language. Mm -hmm. But um, the underlying binnings are the D-type next. Yep. Okay. And if you know that, then you can create, for instance, you create virtual columns of the data set by creating a, by reifying a, a D-type next interface. Mm -hmm. um, so what's normally the workflow for work, like how do you, normally when you have a project uh, in the tech ascent mm -hmm. and then what would be your workflow for, I don't know, just getting the data in, you would normally get it in, I don't know, CSV or... Usually, honestly, usually it comes from a range of different things. Like, um, uh, it, it, because data sets take a sequence of maps, sometimes the data is just the end of another processing pipeline, mm -hmm. you know, and we just, we will create a data set just from data that's kind of ad hoc found through um, parsing a bunch of odd files in various different ways. So mm -hmm. we work a lot with financial data. We work a lot with a database called Edgar, which is okay. the SEC's database. And mm -hmm. all those are like some partial XML 
SGMX weird document format. And they, they all require kind of specialized parsing. And the result of that is one or more sequences of maps that are then piped to create a data set. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in general, um, one, we kind of differ. What I want to do is I want to have as much of the data set in memory as I can. And when I can't fit the whole thing in, in memory, then I want to use a guava cache style thing to, to again, like be clever about what's in memory and what's not. And then I want to serve things dynamically from that data set that's in memory. And so if your data set's unchanging, so for instance, the Edgar data set changes every day, but like from request to request, it's essentially static because I'll probably mm-hmm. run an ingest pipeline once a day or once a week or something. Mm-hmm. Then, um, then it's easy from the front end to, it's easy for the server to boot up and load a bunch of data from S3. And uh, I just query the data set kind of ad hoc in memory, honestly. Mm-hmm. A lot of, a lot, a lot of data fits in memory if you store it carefully. And then mm-hmm. I only use S3 or some blob-based storage for uh, the results of an ingest process of some sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is there anything specific that data set gives you when you work in the repo, uh, when you load this data in memory? A ton. So like a good example, a CSV is actually, CSVs are ubiquitous, but they're untyped string data. Mm-hmm. And when you load a CSV with data set, it'll scan each column to figure out the data type. And just that right there can be really useful fast because you just pointed at a generic CSV that you don't know anything about. And it's got a very intelligent scanning algorithm where it will upcast the column type as it finds more complex data. Mm-hmm. And so it'll figure out if this data can be stored in uh, a long or a double or a string or a date for you, and you don't have to do that yourself. Furthermore, when it loads in a string column, it it creates a dictionary for that column. And so you're, you're, it, it makes the strings all unique. I, it'll perform a type of primitive compression on the column. And so you mm-hmm. can really load a really large CSV into memory and uh, work with it kind of at your fingertips at the REPL, including doing things like finding means and maxes and all this other stuff that requires you to iterate through the entire data set over and over again. Um, so I guess it also gives you some kind of uh, I don't know oh. functions that you can you can work with this data, uh, or you normally you or you just use Closure Core. Oh, I just use the dataset library. I I say Arrow dataset, and then I'm pretty much just using dataset operations from then on. Mm-hmm. And if the data is truly huge, then I end up with a sequence of datasets, and I either randomly sample back down to one dataset, or I work with the first one until I get the pipeline right, and then I just pass all the datasets through the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then you just get the result at the end for whatever you wanted. So, um, yep. I guess I guess it's safe to say that this is some kind of in memory in memory database that gives yeah. you some kind of I don't know language to work with it. Yep, that's ex- mm-hmm. that is probably maybe that's what should be on the front page of the dataset library. It's hard to explain this, but it's a programmatic in memory database mm-hmm. where instead of like having to write SQL commands against it or having to write, you know, datomic queries or something like that, you right. just get the data in memory and you can you can program it very, very explicitly yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as far as data data set is concerned, mm-hmm. it it also has support for some pretty high powered file formats. 
And so we were talking about CSV, but Dataset supports Parquet and Arrow. And Parquet is nice because it's highly compressed. So, and it loads very fast. So you can load, you can put a lot of data in a Parquet file before you even get it to the 100 megabyte range. Mm -hmm. And Arrow is a column major kind of very, Arrow itself is a column major data storage mechanism. So from an Arrow file, a data set loads nearly instantaneously. And it's, you can do another thing with Arrow files as long as they're not compressed Arrow. You can memory map them. And that means that you can tell the OS, you basically say, you, you, you say, you, you do an F open operation and the OS just gives you back an integer pointer. <laughs> and you access the memory and the OS is taking care of paging that file in and out of memory itself. And this allows you to, for instance, have way more data on disk than you can access yourself, than you can have in the machine's RAM. And the OS is taking care of paging things in and out of memory as necessary. Mm -hmm. um, I think memory mapping, I think for me, is one of the neater things that you can do with Arrow mm -hmm. itself. But Dataset allows you to do these things very transparently. Right. Um, so you mentioned this a couple of times, so the um, column-based or the row-based approach. Um, do you feel like yeah. most of the work that we are doing is in column or row-based approach? Row-based. When you use mm -hmm. Clojure Core, you're doing strictly row-based programming. Mm -hmm. And you why almost never do any column-based. Why column-based column? is better or better? Yeah. Depends on, the, it, on the, I guess, the problem. It, it definitely depends on the problem. And um, it's, it's an interesting tension between the two. And just like I said kind of earlier in the program that for any given program, the optimal definition is going to be some mix between garbage collected and non-garbage collected code. Mm -hmm. I think that's also true for row-based and column-based systems. Mm -hmm. So um, when you have a map, when you have a sequence of maps, that data is described in a row-based format. Each map is your row. If I take that sequence of maps and I split each key into its own column, then I have, and that's what data set does, uh, then I have a column-based definition of the problem. And column-based has this interesting property where it takes heterogeneous data row-wise is very often homogeneous column-wise. Yeah. And you're the hardware of your computer the the hardware of your computer deals much better with with heter homogeneous data than it does heterogeneous data. Mm -hmm. And uh, one example, for instance, is if I even use in transducers. If I have a million rows, if I have a of a million maps, and I want to do a simple map operation across them, mm -hmm. I'm going to create at least a million more maps <laughs> mm -hmm. because y y at least and. If I want to create a new key in the map, that's the two other keys added together. I'm going to create a million more maps. But if I have a data set of the same size and it's got a million rows in it and I want to create a new column, then I only need to create one more column. If, right. if C is the result of A plus B, then in a data set definition, I have one memory allocation or maybe three or four, but like not a million. Whereas if I'm using transducers or closure core, I have a million memory applications, at least, if not more like 20 million or something, because persistent maps themselves have a memory allocation associated with them. Mm -hmm. um, um, I guess 
Uh, would that be also the place where you can also use transients in Closure Core? That's also a place where you could use transients, but you're still going to go map by map and you're going to mm -hmm. osoc right. a new thing into the map and produce a new map. So it doesn't really matter. It, transients would help you if you wanted to do many, many things to the same row, mm -hmm. but overall you still have to allocate a million new maps potentially. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a data set and you have to allocate one new map and one new column, you can see now why that's exponentially less work for the garbage collector to do. Right, right, right. Um, so we talk about a lot of garbage collector. So how does garbage collector come here in place for like any kind of uh, optimizations and stuff? The garbage collector is something that's hard to get a hold of. It turns, you don't really know how it's going to affect your program and it tends to affect it in ways that are unpredictable. Hmm. Um, in the sense that, um, uh, you can of course have out of memory exceptions and things like that, but it's more of the fact that, as I said, it, it causes things to scale in odd ways because it runs in the middle of your program and it, it kind of, from a hardware perspective, it blows out all the hardware caches really quick when it runs. And so even though the garbage collector in the JVM is faster than any other garbage collector that I know of. When you start scaling to many cores, if you're doing things that are garbage collector heavy, you won't see your program scale. Because as I said, it does some level of global locking to know how to allocate a new pool or a per thread pool or who knows what it does. But it tends to cause things both to run slower and to run and to have un, um, very uh, a huge variance in their runtimes. And I think mm -hmm. those are the two properties that if you use just a little bit of data set work, you can get things to run faster and to run consistently at the same time, mm -hmm. uh, which may or may not be important to you. But for bigger systems, that's that's a good property to have. Is there any difference between, I know there are a couple of garbage collectors for uh, JVM. Well, I can say that from the tests I've run, the JDK17's default garbage collector is great for the type of programming that Clojure people do. Mm -hmm. It the people I know who are using data set, who are using big enough data sets that they can use data set and get a lot of benefit out of it, they've noticed big improvements with JDK 17. What is big enough? However, um, that's a good question, but I would say more than 10,000 rows. Mm -hmm. Once you have more than 10,000 things, I think it's time to switch to a data set and, and use data set style programming on it. Mm -hmm. um, or... Even if you, well, yeah, that's probably it. Because under that, even under that size, you can save the data in Eden. You can save it in Nippy. You can do kind of whatever you want. And it'll still be pretty fast. Mm -hmm. But once you get into the the hundred thousand row range or a million row range, now all those tools fall apart, and you would really rather be using Parquet or Arrow. And you just it makes your it makes your big data or your medium to big data. There's a huge most data is not big data, but medium to big data. It makes that data something you can use at the REPL. Whereas when you're using sequence of maps or closure core on it, it ends up being really tedious and not something that you can do at the REPL. It's your feedback mm -hmm. loop's too slow. Um, so it, it, it it's kind of a nice transition from, I have a little bit of data and closure core works fine to have medium data and a data set. And medium is quite big up to a few gigs. I have medium data and now data sets work fine to I have legitimately big data and a sequence of data sets works fine <laughs> mm -hmm. that I can then transduce over. And that's mm -hmm. where it flips all the way back, where now with when you have 
gigabytes, multiple gigabytes of data, you kind of want to split it up into, you know, four or 500 megabyte chunks. And you want to have a sequence of data sets that you're transducing over. Mm -hmm. um, would there be anything else uh, worth discussing? Do you feel like we missed on any kind of topic or anything like this that is important for people using data set library? Yeah, I would say that the, the other piece of this that we've missed a little bit is just the bindings of data type to other things. So okay. libpython CLJ, libjulia CLJ, um, AV CLJ, which is FFM, low level FFmpeg bindings, data type. It One thing in here to understand is that data type binds to all of those at a low level. So you can do zero copy transfers from a NumPy array to a data type. And from that, you can create a data set or you can create an Neanderthal matrix. Um, mm -hmm. And same with Julia. So mm -hmm. because data type sits where it is, which is in between JVM and, and native, I've tried to leverage that in, in those language bindings so that Clojure can have a unified pathway to all these things. Mm -hmm. um, Neanderthal, NumPy, Julia, those are three big pieces you get. And of course, anytime you want to, you can easily create a data set from a NumPy array, or you can create a NumPy array from a data set and all this type of stuff. So it gives you um, space enclosure to try out lots of stuff really quickly without having to transfer the data in some awkward way into the other, those other systems. Mm-hmm. Um also, one thing that just popped up in my mind: when I use a data set, does this does this use any kind of uh, or where does the, where is this executed on a CPU on a GPU? Is it CUDA somehow related? I know Neanderthal, it's, yeah. Neanderthal can go either CPU or GPU, but mm -hmm. data set is strictly CPU. Mm -hmm. um, um, so and so, yeah, go ahead. The interesting thing. The, the the most powerful high performance primitive in data set is this group by aggregate pathway where given a sequence of data sets i want to produce i want to group by some number of columns of those data sets and then i want to create it a reduction on the results so mm -hmm. for each bucket i want to end up with a map essentially mm -hmm. and i want to create a data set that that's the highest performance primitive and that Primitive is really hard to do on the GPU. Mm -hmm. It is just GPUs don't handle hash maps well. So now you're dealing with sorted maps. And when you have a whole lot of data, it's not that's that's that the exact benchmark that Anthony did, I think that data set is by far the most fastest system for doing, I think would be very, very, very difficult to do on a GPU. Mm -hmm. So GPUs are generally faster if your problem fits the GPU, but you're taking a massive hit in programmability to get your problem to fit the GPU. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Interesting. Um, yeah, I guess I will have to talk to Dragon um, about Neanderthal and all of the parts mm -hmm. of the GPU and uh, just explore also this space with him. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think? Anything else for... Uh... I think probably where we are is good. <laughs> I really don't think, I mean, we've covered a, a huge amount of ground. I don't know 
I think, I don't know, it, it's interesting for me to hear your opinion on if you feel now you, you have a place for data set, if it fits in your development pipeline in a certain spot, or if it still feels like maybe yeah. I don't know where this fits. I think it does. I think in a way that uh, I think the discussion about the row versus column base uh, was helpful uh, just to like mm -hmm. somehow visualize this uh, whole approach and how this really can improve uh, the things you're doing. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't deal a lot with like, you know, data science and all this part. So I think maybe mm -hmm. for me, it's a bit of difficult to connect all of those dots. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, I have somehow loosely coupled, if you will, understanding of what's going on there. Yeah. Do you have problems in your work where the performance actually matters? Yes, but this is more on like a browser uh, in terms of like the front end and stuff uh, yep. where it's, you know, either performance on the, on the browser can be seen in different ways, right? So like how big yeah. is the size of the bundle, like how what's the refresh rate and stuff like this. Uh, yep. So this is also a bit different in terms of, I think when you talk about performance, you're talking about performance in terms of, in terms of data crunching, right? And yeah. how quickly you can, you can get the result and yeah. Mm -hmm. Where I guess in my yeah. case, the performance is more how quickly I can print this stuff on the screen, uh, by, yeah. Well, yeah. One thing yeah. we didn't talk about is that the data set has a closure script variant. Okay. Um, that has, and I've built an optimized um, transit-based transfer pipeline so that you can use data sets on the front end. And okay. That has all the same benefits as it does on the back end. So the transfer size is smaller from the back end to the front end, and it's faster to do sorting or filtering or grouping uh, yeah. on these data sets once they're on the front end. Interesting. And the memory Everyone? size is much smaller. Much, much smaller. The front end's even worse in terms of memory than the JVM. Mm. Yeah. I'm wondering if you could use the data set as an in-memory database for like your UI, if you will. And yeah. That's how we use it a lot of times. Interesting. You can. Oh. It's um the mutation pathway of it, it's it's you're back to mutating a blob of memory, essentially. Mm -hmm. So it you get the same problems, but on the browser single threaded anyway. So a lot of the problems just don't exist. Mm. Um, um, so if I if I have any questions or if I find I don't know any kind of bugs or anything, what's the best way to reach out? Well, uh, for sure we we spend a, I spend a lot of time on Zulip on a daily basis, but mm -hmm. I would say uh, Zulip is for sure a way. Issues um, I've noticed that people have a hesitation to file an issue. Usually they'll send me an email or notify me by Zulip before they file an issue. But it, I try to be really gracious. Like if you have any issues using the system and you just file an issue, then I'll mm -hmm. I'll respond there. Cool. Um, and then finally, I'm always open to an email. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, maybe we finish the uh, the talk uh, in a more like low key way. And I know you're also the president of Closures Together right now. Is that correct? Uh, no, 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 no. I'm on the board. You're on the board. <laughs> How is that going? Um, it's going good. Uh, we, uh, I think closures together is going through, I would say a time of transition. Daniel Compton's really busy. And mm -hmm. so it's, uh, the discussions are really sporadic, mm -hmm. um, in general. And I think, 
it's a good idea, but it really does. It needs a president who is as fair and uh, quite honestly has as much integrity as Daniel, but mm-hmm. who can really dive in and, and give it a lot of time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, I think it will be actually fair uh, to have like a person that really, you know, does this full time. I think it's very hard to do this uh, just it's after work. Br- yeah. 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 It's a lot of work, especially if you want to do it well, because it involves companies and money. So yeah. that involves records and kind of a lot of stuff right there. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Well, uh, Chris, thank you so much for taking time talking about, uh, you know, data science, machine learning, all this stuff. So um, pleasure. Pleasure to talk to you. And yeah, once again, thank you for taking the time. Yeah, this was this was great. And uh, I really enjoy this. I'll come back anytime. Uh, um, so, sure. uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there'll be oh. more to talk to you about. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider supporting it by rating it on your platform and telling others about it. You can also support it directly by buying subscription at closure.stream or sponsoring it on GitHub sponsors. All the details in the show notes below.